You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Ross Steele. The way that the message is going to be structured now without a podium, I kind of need that. And so what you'll see, I obviously started with, in my opinion, the best person ever, which is my beautiful wife. Uh, and, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, tap some shoulders out there for anybody else to do readings as they come along. This one just happened to be super long. Uh, but thank you, baby. You're so beautiful. Your voice is beautiful. I love you. Uh, all that to say, uh, I got to rate this. I got to slap on a PG-13 slash rated R for this message and potentially, uh, well, not potentially, for like the next four weeks to come. One thing about Life Church is we talk about everything that oftentimes culture doesn't want to talk about. We're a bold church. We preach the Word of God. And if it's in the Word of God, we're going to preach it. We're going to talk about it. Uh, So the title of the message today is actually Jesus, Sex, and Murder. We're going to be talking about sex. We're going to be talking about temptation. We're going to be talking about murder. And uh, so there's a little PG-13 on there. So for for, for you all, uh, the, to, just to know that, um, with kids and you're gonna, whether your kids are with you or not in service, it's up to you. Um, but we believe that if it's in the Word of God, we should talk about it. Uh, and also with that to be said, y'all know me. I love my jokes, so I'm going to start with one. Why did David kill Goliath? Anybody know? Because he had the stones to do it. <laughs> oh, gosh, I am way too. Okay. Uh, okay, for y'all who didn't, who don't know, he, you know, slung stone, killed Goliath, but, you know, PG-13, I had to throw it in there, okay? Uh, title of the message today is Jesus, Sex, and Murder. We're going to touch on, we're going to go back to some of these verses that Kelsey had read, uh, the first of which are going to be 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, and David stayed at Jerusalem. But when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So what we see here is that David's walking around and he sees a woman, as we have read already in the text, Bathsheba, she's bathing. And uh, so, so David sees her, she's obviously naked, and, uh, and she, he finds her very beautiful. Uh, but what we see in this moment, that this moment, these first couple verses, this essentially is just the temptation. This is temptation that comes. And, and let me make something clear because... This is something that I had to figure out on my own. It took me a while to actually wrap my head around it, is that, yes, even Jesus was tempted, but even for me in my walk with the Lord, it took me a while to realize that temptation itself isn't sin, but it's what we, what we do with the temptation. And, and we, we see that, that David obviously uh, did not, you know, follow along in, 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 uh, in you know, being upright in, in righteousness in this time, but it, it shows us that temptation can go like anybody falls, everybody falls, not everybody falls to temptation, but everybody can and will be tempted at one time or another, whether it's, uh, it could be anything, whether it's drugs, alcohol, uh, pornography, uh, lying, like anything, like we can be tempted by a number of things. But temptation is a test of our trust and the truthfulness of God. Temptation doesn't necessarily, there, there are other sayings that have said it this way, T- temptation isn't necessarily testing your self-control, but it's really testing your relationship. 
It tests your relationship with Jesus. It, it doesn't always, it's not always there to test your self-control because if, if your relationship with Jesus is strong, then generally speaking, that when the temptation comes, you're, you're going to have this self-control because it is, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So if you're in a relationship with the Lord and you're, you're constantly pouring into that and, 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 uh, and strengthening that relationship, then you're gonna be, you're, you have access to the fruits of the Spirit. And self-control being one of those, you're going to be able to, to rebuke that temptation and go the other way. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, no temptation, has, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape, also so that you will be able to endure. I think I, I point out, uh, I highlight that beyond what you're able, because that is true. Like, people say it all the time. Like, it, it's kind of become cliches. Like, you'll, you'll never get, you'll, you know, Lord will never give you what more, more than what you can handle. And I, when it comes to temptation, I believe that it's true. I 100% believe that is true because it's in the word of the, God, uh, word of the Lord. Uh, it, it says it right here. And no temptation has overtaken you. None has overtaken you. That isn't common to man. So, like, we're all faced different temptations, but you're not the first one to experience that temptation. And we, that you'll be able to endure. It, it, I heard something recently this past week. It said, it said, we'll have seasons of peace and we'll have seasons of rest, but we're also going to have seasons of endurance. And we're going to have seasons of enduring. And in those seasons, it may, it may seem really like it may be a struggle. In those seasons of enduring, it's, it's a struggle and it's a battle. But you just press on. Allow, allow the Lord to just, just be your strength. And you press on and you give him the control and you're going to get through it so, so, so that you'll be able to endure. Hey, bless you. Uh, temptation also minimizes and masks the consequences of sin. When the temptation comes... Temptation comes, not often are we thinking about the consequences of it. Because it often it will, it will minimize or mask those consequences. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Say, Pastor Ross, what does this have to do with anything? Well, I believe this last verse is very, very, very important. Your word, if we treasure his word in our heart, we will not sin against him. So we have to feed our conscience with the word of God. We have to get into the word of God. When the temptation comes, when the battles come, when the suffering comes, how else are we supposed to fight? How else are we supposed to fight? Here in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see uh, mainly, the main part of it is David burying his sin, attempting to bury his sin. Uh, and, and, and we see it in three different ways. One of which uh, that we're going to get to uh, talk on first is the way of the shovel, is what I call it. It's the, it's the easiest way. It's, it's the, the less messy way, uh, the most secretive way, I would say. And the shovel, I believe, is what we first see in David's attempt here in 2 Samuel Chapter 11, verse 8. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and David and, and did not go to his house. So what do we see here? Well, the first thing is 
David attempts to bury his sin. How does he attempt to bury his sin? He's telling him to go home. He's with, he's with all his people, all, all those who are fighting. And Uriah, he's saying, David's saying, Uriah, you could go home. Uh, go home, go down to your house, wash your feet. Basically what that's saying is go, he's hoping he goes home, cleans up, and with his cleanliness, then he will go make love to his wife, essentially. Now this isn't out of like, hey, you know, being, being a great, strong leader by any means. David is driven by self-preservation, and he wants to protect himself. Because what he had already done up to this point is he went, he laid with another man's wife. He had sex with Bathsheba, and he had gotten her pregnant. So we saw that in the text. So he's gotten her pregnant. He's like, how? Okay, well, this is awkward. How, how else? Like, how, how can I get out of this? How can I cover this sin up? So he's thinking, Uriah, I'll send you home. You'll go sleep with your wife. And then we'll say that you got her pregnant. And then nobody will know except for Bathsheba and I. But David, he's trying to motivate Uriah to sleep with his own wife. Now, Uriah props to that dude, honestly. He's a great warrior, you know, strong. He, he, you know, he's got self-discipline. But look, this is, I already prefaced, it's PG-13. You don't have to convince me to have sex with my wife. And any other man in, in this house, in here, you don't have to convince them to have sex with their wife. Uriah needs convincing. And this isn't just the first time. This isn't just the first time at all. Because Uriah, he said, well, if my men are there, I want to be with them. And now I think Uriah maybe. This is just me speculating. I don't think he loved his wife as much as I love my wife personally. And same with all the other men here in the house. The second way that we see David try to bury his sin is with the backhoe. The backhoe option. It's a little bit messier. It's a little bit, uh, uh, takes a little bit more work. You got to go get the equipment, come, and it makes a lot of noise. And we see that here in verse 13. Now David called him and he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. So the backhoe method, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, just keep feeding you drinks. I'm going to get you drunk, and then, and then you'll want to go home. But no, Uriah, he is too disciplined and principled to go home. When he says, my men are fighting, I'm going to be with him. Which, keep in mind, David, he was the one, all his men are fighting, and he decides he's going to stay home. So obviously, uh, you know, it helps being disciplined and principled, whereas David, he felt, and he, 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 chose, uh, he chose sin instead of being with his men, where Uriah, he's being disciplined, he's being principled, he's saying, even in my drunkenness, I'm sticking with my men. David deliberately gets his soldier drunk. And it, this isn't just like any soldier. Like, this is, this is one of his, like, great leaders, not, not the greatest, but this is one of his great leaders uh, uh, for, his, for his great army of mighty men, which we've heard about over and over again here in the book of Samuel. And because Uriah gets drunk, because he chooses not to go back to his wife again, Bathsheba is sleeping alone again. Sleeping alone again. And now maybe in David's mind he thought, okay, you know, Bathsheba's alone. I don't want her to be alone. Saw her bathing, the temptation. He's like, well, maybe, you know, I'll just help her not feel lonely. So maybe that's why he chose to go sleep with another man's wife. I don't, I don't know. But, but what we see is, is because of both of their choices, now she is sleeping alone again. And then the third thing that, that uh, I, I, the, the, the way that he uh, buries his sin that I believe we have the shovel, which is clean, easy, quiet, backhoe, a little bit louder, um, a little bit messier. And finally, it's the dynamite. 
He says, he says, okay, none of these, none of these ways worked that, I, that I've tried to bury his sin in any way, form, or fashion. So I just got to, I have to just take extreme measures here. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14 says, Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. What's interesting to see here is that David uses Uriah, and he says, hey, I need you to deliver a message. What, David, what, what Uriah doesn't realize is he's carrying his own death sentence. He didn't read it. And, and I'm not going to lie, if, like in that time, and then, uh, this is just me being nosy, I guess, but uh, I'm not perfect, but I'm like, if somebody's sending a letter, I'm, I'm going to try to peek at it, honestly. I'm like, what is this? I want to see the battle plans. What's happening? Uriah, again, uh, disciplined. He, 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 he has self-control, and he, he just delivers. He just basically, when he hands that letter, he's saying, here, here you go. And he has no idea, but he's, that's his, his own death sentence. He's, he's basically saying, here you go, you can kill me. But what we also see here is that David had one plan, put him in the front, withdraw from him. Joab realizes, terrible idea. Everybody's going to know what you're doing. So Joab improves David's plan. And by improving his plan, he, he takes him along the, the wall, which obviously, like any, any battle tactic possible, higher ground is higher power, like you're going to, you have better advantage here. Um, so, he, you know, he moves all the people. And it's, but it doesn't just take out uh, Uriah, it takes out other men uh, of these mighty men. So, like, it, it made a way bigger mess than what could have been if he had just not given into the temptation and chose to be of righteous, have self-control that comes from Holy Spirit. Second Samuel 11, verse 21 says, Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? And then you'll say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. This is what Joab's saying to send the messenger, go tell this to David. And this is how the consequences are communicated. So the consequences being, hey, all these men died, but Uriah the Hittite is dead. So he sends the messenger, goes to David, and we see that. And, and what, what I want to point out is that our sin does not impact just us. Collateral damage, but the collateral damage impacts those around us. Our sin, when, when we say that, it's not just like, don't think of it as just like, hey, everybody right there in that immediate circle, but like even those people who aren't there in the present moment, your family, your friends, they can and, and very well will be impacted by your sin, but not just those. It's, it's even those who aren't even here yet. Generationally, when you choose a life of sin, generational sin is a thing. Let's cut, cut to the chase. It's very clear. We hear about it. We talk about it. Generational sin is a thing. If you choose a life of sin, whatever, whatever sin you're, you're, you're choosing to over and over and over again, you don't realize it, but you are impacting. The collateral damage of that is for your kids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids. Like, if you don't get a hold of it now, then, then uh, if you don't get a hold of your sin now, then your children and your children's children and your children's children's children, they're going to have to deal with it. And maybe you guys are, maybe somebody in here is on the receiving end of that, who you, 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 you are dealing with something, a sin that just seems so hard to shake, whether that's lust or pride or anger or gluttony, whatever it may be, you have that and you don't know how to shake it. 
But what you have to realize is it's a generational sin. It's a generational curse. And by your declaration of your faith in Jesus and by you saying, basically to the, to, to the enemy, to the devil, saying, no, you can't, you, you have no hold on my family. I belong to Christ. My children belong to Christ. My children's children belong to Christ. You cut off the generational sin in the name of Jesus, and then it works its way back. It can work its way backwards. You can, you can stop it. You have the power by the mighty, by the mighty hand of the Holy Spirit to, to cut off generational curses, to cut off generational sins, and prepare and, and, and lift up your children even before they're here. And you can save even your, your parents and your grandparents who may have had part in those generational sins. You have a lot more power than you guys realize by that of the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 25 says, Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. So what he's saying, David's real. He got the message, and he realizes and he, said, uh, he, he says, hey, just go encourage him about it. So these are the consequences minimized. David has now come and minimized the consequences. He said, okay, your eye is dead. I, I accomplished my mission. All these people died. So be it. He's like, just go back, encourage Joab, tell him not to worry about it. And keep in mind, Joab has really no idea what's going on. He just took the order and he just like, did it and he accomplished it. Um, and, and, and I would say for us as, as humans here, here in this world, living in our flesh at times, in a life of sin, we grow careless of, or we grow careless in the consequences. If we continue in a life of sin, we continue down, down the, that which is not the narrow path, then we begin to just grow careless. Like, we don't care anymore. There's a time, like, I may be a pastor. I've been there, though. Most of y'all know my story. Like, I've been there. I did not care. But I tell you what. Now that I'm not in it and I can see, like, from a bigger view, from, like, looking back, I'm like, wow. Like, I, I, I made a mess, kind of. And, and I, didn't, I didn't care. I, I didn't care about the consequences. I was just living me, and I didn't need anybody else. But once I came to know the Lord and be in a relationship, a, dr a true, genuine relationship with Jesus, everything changed my life. Everything changed my life. And verse 26 says, Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. You may think, and that's kind of weird considering you also chose, it takes two people, we get it, but you also chose to sleep with another man while you were married. So why would you be mourning? Well, I, you know, when you sleep with somebody, there's things called soul ties. And, and, and when we talk about soul ties, it's like when, when you have uh, uh, sex, like anything sexual or uh, an intimate moment, with one another, outside of marriage, outside of the, the, the meaning of marriage, of how God created it, the soul ties are created. Even in marriage, you have that soul tie, but what you don't realize is soul ties, you're knit together. You're knit together. And, and then their sin essentially becomes your sin, and you have to deal with all the demons that they're dealing with as well. And, and it can happen in that. So there is a soul tie there. I kind of got off on a little tangent. There is a soul tie there, so there is a, an emotional connection between them two. It's not that she just didn't care. She also just chose sin. Um, so she mourned for her husband, and this is the way of which the consequences have then cried out. Consequences are cried out by Bathsheba. She mourns her husband. And with, uh, through her mourning of her husband, we also see that um, after this in the text, that David, after he died and after her mourning was done, he, he let her grieve, he did all that. But after all of it, 
He says, all right, you've mourned enough. You've grieved. No big deal. I'm just going to make you my wife. And, you're, and, then, and then that's how I'm going to fix the issue. Because now nobody else will know. Hey, you're my wife now. Now, of course, you're going to have my son. Nobody then comes to think twice. So essentially, it's a fourth, it's a fourth way of, of deciding, hey, I'm going to bury my son this way. And I, it's not something to just to, to, to minimize or anything of the sort. We've talked about up to this point how great of a king David is and, and how, how he, how he uh, resembles you know, Jesus in so many different ways. But that just goes to show, guys, no, no matter how close we are to Jesus, we still have temptation. And if we choose to step into that temptation and choose a life of sin, we can fall. Even the greats have fallen. And we see that here in, da- in the story with David and Bathsheba. In verse 27, it says, But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. A cool thing to note here, this is the last verse. Very last verse, last words. Evil in the sight of the Lord of this whole chapter. Nowhere else in the chapter was God mentioned. And when there is no mention of God, sin runs rampant. You wonder why we're living in a world that's as wild as we are today. Well, you, they take, take, take God and prayer and Bibles out of schools, out of government buildings, out of, out of uh, board meetings. I mean, they, they, they literally, they, the world is trying to take God out of everything. And then you see how wild everybody's living, lives of sin, and, and they have pride in their sin and everything else of the sort. Guys, we have to, as the church, we have to stand firm. We have to stand boldly preaching the word of God at every corner, at every corner. There is no, there is no time for, for second guessing or, or thinking twice or anything. Like every corner, we must be standing boldly, firmly on the word of God. And we must preach it at every, every corner we turn, everywhere we go. Because where we aren't, filling the, the, the air with our words, that is the, the, the word of the Lord, somebody else is filling the air with that of this world, which is just the enemy, the lies of this enemy, lies of the world, lies of our flesh. And ultimately, after all this to be said, simply enough, David knew better. I mean, he did. How did he know better? Because he wrote Psalm 32 that says, Uh, Psalm 32, and in this verse 5, just this part, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He recognized it, and he confesses. He didn't hide his sin, although we saw that here, obviously. Like, he, he already knew not to hide his sin, but yet he goes and does anyways, right? We're going to talk, as we wrap up here, I want to talk about uh, a few final things, three things that when you try to bury your sin. And I believe that uh, there are three things a part of this, that when you try to bury your sin, first thing is your digging puts others in danger. I talked about the collateral damage and all that stuff, and and, and generational curses, you guys have to recognize. And I understand, new believers, if somebody's here in the house that's just came to Christ, or maybe you don't even really have a relationship with Jesus, and you never really called on him as Lord and Savior, that's okay. You're welcome here, and I'm glad you're here. But we get into it here. And if you're like, generational curses, generational, that doesn't make any sense to me. Let's, put it, let's, put, let's just backtrack a little bit. Without getting into the depths there, 
The sin that you choose, a life of sin, any sin that you choose directly will impact those that you're in a relationship with. And maybe it's not like, hey, you did this so that, so this happened to them, but it's because of your sin, then, then, then the, the sin that is within you, the sin nature, as it grows, the, the enemy is going to use that. And he's going to use it. It plants a seed, basically. He's going to just grow within you. And through that, there's going to be anger, unforgiveness, pride, jealousy, all these things, envy that will root up within you. But we have to, through the cross, we're washed clean. Through, through the cross, we're washed clean. By receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are washed clean. And that's for everybody. Even though we were sinners, even though we were sinners, even when we were sinners, he died for our sins. So we have to recognize that even if it's not a generational thing, it can still very well be those people that we are in direct relationships right now just by how we interact with them. Just by how we interact with them. You usually get even dirtier. The second point. When you try to bury your sin, you usually get even dirtier, honestly. We, saw, we see this right here with David. He tried one thing, and then he had a, he had a shovel, and then tobacco, and then the dynamite. Like, he had to get real messy just to clean up one simple act of sin. And it's not simple as, like, no big deal sin. All sin's a big deal. Let's, let's make that very clear. All sin is a big deal to God. And we must hate what the Lord hates. The Lord hates sin. So we have, to, we have to have that same heart. We need to have that same heart. And finally, when you try to bury sin, there is one who plants a flag in every mound you make. What does that mean? Well, if anybody's ever worked in a yard, dug a hole or anything, or uh, even gone and, and seen a, a burial at a, at a cemetery, they fill it back up, and there's a mound of dirt. Like, it's never exactly flat anymore. It's very clear. And he plants a flag, not saying... God's sitting here saying, I, I see that. You're trying to hide it? I see that. You try to hide it? I see it. Not to say, hey, you know, I see all these things. You're trying to hide it from me. You're terrible by any means. No, he just recognized. He sees all things. He can see your heart. He can see your intentions. He knows our thoughts. So he's planting the flag just saying, I want, basically by saying, I see that there. I see that there. I want to know these things. I want you, as David, to confess these things. Confess of your sin. Confess of your transgressions. He wants to redeem you, but he also isn't going to force himself upon you. You have, to, uh, you have to receive that. You have to make that choice for yourself. And when he does, and you start confessing all these things to him and to those around you, those that you've hurt, like you're going to start seeing, guys, in your life, you're going to start seeing so much that, that, that's just going to you're going to be lifted. That's going to be lifted off your shoulders. You're going to feel so light. It's going to be great. And it's not just about the feeling, but it's about the heart, the, 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 the life change, the transformation that takes place in your life by, by confessing of our sins, by confessing it to the Father. And he covers it. We've already mentioned that. And lastly, here, as we continue to wrap up, if you want to stop burying your sins, you have to be buried with your sins. You have to be buried with your sins. Where does that come? Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. We have to die to ourselves. That's what that means. We have to die to ourselves to be able to walk in the newness of life. So if you're in the mindset, if you're, maybe you're in here and, you, and you, this is really hitting you. This is really resonating with you and you're like, 
no, I, I get it. I recognize, like, I try to bury all my sin. Well, this time for you to, 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 to be buried with your sin. Because when you are made new in Christ, that is not you. The old is gone and the new has come. People try all the time. Guys, when I came into a relationship with the Lord, every, every time, all my, like, friends, best friends, still my best friends from high school, all the time, they would, they would comment on things that I used to do when I was wild and out. Like, I don't care. Like, ultimately, I struggled with sharing it, my, my own story. But ultimately, I had to realize it's not my story anymore. It's his story. What has he done? Like, we have to die to ourselves, and we have to die with our sin. We are made new. There is no shame in who we, weren't, who we once were. There is, there is none of that sort. We are made free. We are made free in the cross in the blood of Jesus. There are a couple contrasts here in this passage that is that of with the gospel. And the contrast, the first one that I want to point out to you here is that David sinned and Uriah died, but we sinned and Jesus died. When we sin, somebody dies. Something dies. David sinned, Uriah died. Jesus, we sinned. Jesus said, here, I'll die for you. I'm going to die for you and your sins and your iniquities so that you don't have to be bound any longer, so that you can be free, so that you can walk in the victory of the cross. Another contrast I see here is that the king of Israel handed over his own soldier to death to cover up his sins, whereas the king of heaven handed his own son over to death to cover our sins. Maybe looking at, may have looked at this text early on and thought, where is Jesus in this? He's right in the middle. He always is. We can always find it if we just look. We just have to look. You don't have to cover up your own sins because your sins have already been covered up. They've already been covered under the blood of Jesus. All you have to do is receive him. You profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Transformation will take place in the house of the Lord. And you can change generations to come. Because we don't just die with him, but we can also rise with him. Glory to glory. We can be glorified with him. It's not our glory, though, that we're getting. It is the glory that which belongs to the Lord. I want to take a moment. Our prayer team is going to come up, and, and we're going to have, guys, I said at the beginning of the, of the service that people walked in here. I felt it in my heart. The Lord laid it on my heart. There's a hard heart in this house. And I've just been praying that really just during worship and during the bumper and before this message that that heart would be softened. And you don't have to have a hard heart to come up here this morning. You have anything going on in your life, we're going to pray with you. These people love to pray. We love to pray with everybody. And I want to invite anybody up here to, to, to be prayed over, to be prayed with. It could be for encouragement. It could be, it could be for revelation. It could, whatever you need to come up. Don't be shy. It's not something to be embarrassed of. If anything, I always look at it as a sign of strength. You say, I need Jesus. Yep, we all need Jesus. Even I need Jesus. 
But there, is, there, there are hearts in here that are hurting, their hearts that are confused, their hearts that are, that are hardened to the word of the Lord, that just don't know where they're at in life. They're, confu- they're, they're confused with their next steps. They're, they're battling a, a sickness, a disease that they, they don't understand why it's happening. Battling transition, a new season of work or parenthood or school, sports, whatever it may be. As we bow our heads and we close our eyes, I want to give an opportunity. I want to give an opportunity for those in the house of the Lord this morning to to not have shame, but to to boldly and proudly lift your hand. And when I say it, on the count of three, this this is for those who maybe that heart that is hard is yours. And you realize, I need Jesus today. I've never called on, him, called on him as Lord and Savior. I need him in my life. I can't go on any longer. It's time to answer the call. I believe he has a great call on your life. And through him and through his mercy, you will be lifted up. You will die with him and you will rise with him. So on the count of three, anybody that's in the house, just shoot your hand up. And we're going to rejoice. You don't have to have it all figured out right now. All you're saying right now is I place my faith in Jesus. So on the count of three, I'm going to give you that call. Just shoot your hand up proudly, boldly, strongly. One, two, three. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.